Hello everybody and welcome to the Organist Encores where on these two shows that are going out this evening we are paying tribute to the wonderful music and talents of Len Rawl who sadly passed away this time last week. Len's signature tune, There's No Business Like Show Business, really summed up everything about Len. Len's passing has come as a great shock to the organ world, I think mainly because for so many people and for so long, no matter who's come or go in the theatre organ world, no matter what's happened in the wider musical scene or indeed the wider world, Len Rawl has always been there making wonderful music, saying all of the right things and being such an enthusiast and supporter for all of the groups, not only in the UK but in America, the Netherlands and Australia. And uh, it seems really strange to think that after so many years of having this person being um, so keen and interested, even well into his mid-80s, that he's no longer there. So on these two shows that are going out uh, today, um, we'd like to mark that. Not necessarily with a This Is Your Lifestyle of programme, but really me just um, choosing some tracks uh, of Len's music and some chat as well from some various interviews taken over many years. Len's first commercial break was an LP called Shimmering Splendour, and I remember very much in my early part of my interest in the theatre organ getting this LP and thinking, who's this Len Rawl bloke? And having been exposed to pretty much the Blackpool sound at that point, to put this record on my turntable and listen to this opened up a whole new world of possibilities and left me questioning, is this still the same type of instrument? And that opening track from that record is the one I'd like to play for you now. Star. Thank you. 
sounds of Lenroar's home mighty Wurlitzer at Tonawanda in Chorleywood. Now, in the second part of the show, we'll be hearing a chat I uh, had with Len way back in 2014 about the home instrument. But very recently, through the generosity of Nigel Ogden, I was able to come across this interview that he did with Len in the mid-80s, where Nigel asked Len about uh, certain aspects of his early musical life. So here we go with a little bit of chat. And I'm very pleased to welcome the star of this week's personality profile, Len Rawl. Len, it's very good to have you with us. Can you, by any chance, remember the very first theatre organ you ever heard live? Yes, I can. Um, It goes back many years, Nigel, but uh, uh, no harm in that. Uh, It was, in fact, the uh, Trocadero Elephant and Castle instrument. Was it? Um, There's an interesting story behind it, because my father had often told me about these amazing instruments in theatres. And each Sunday morning, I generally sat up in bed reading the musical opinion. And in the back of the musical opinion this one Sunday morning was an advert to come to hear Brian Rodwell this amazing instrument and we very shyly entered the auditorium uh, wondering you know why it was we were allowed in free of charge this <laughs> magnificent place and we saw the instrument rise up and uh, I was very impressed yeah I was going to say I was glad it wasn't Quentin McLean you heard because it wasn't going back quite that far was it um, so really I mean that set the, the, the fire alight did it yes I was utterly fascinated by the total concept uh, but more particularly by the sound of the instrument and then after that we joined organ societies and started going around and looking inside them. So how did your interest develop from then on? Did you join the Cinema Organ Society? Yes, indeed. It started off with the Theatre Organ Club and then the Cinema Organ Society. Um, Shortly after that I got called up for national service and through the society we found that there was an organ at the uh, ABC Cinema in Aldershot. I was fortunate in getting access to that for two years, uh, sitting on it from 6 o'clock in the morning to... uh, um, midday every Sunday, yeah. and that's... Where was the bulk of your own theatre organ experience gained? I would say initially it was at that instrument, and then it went on, of course, immediately following my national service to the instrument that we'd purchased from the Granada Wandsworth Road and in- installed in my father's home. Mm. So uh, there was a continuous sort of activity in private study around the world. It's a theatre organ. Yes. And was it the fact that your, your father had installed a Wurlitzer at home that gave you the idea that one day you might be able to do the same thing? Not at all. Uh-huh. Uh, we rescued that instrument in the hope that it would be possible to make a pipe organ sound reasonably well in a private home. But um, the acquisition of the organ that I have from the Empire mm-hmm. Leicester Square, that was quite fortuitous. Um, Len, I know you're a great uh, lover of the American theatre organ sound and uh, their style of playing. What is it that particularly appeals to you about it? When I first heard the American sound, I very quickly identified with the sensitivity of registrations and voicings. In this country, you know, most of our theatre organs were relatively small instruments and most organists uh, had become used to playing them necessarily Mm. at fairly large volume. So the considerable uh, delicacy of the instrument uh, I failed to hear. Having made such a study of these things in the theatre very quietly on my own, it was these solo voices and very subtle combinations that I enjoyed particularly. And so when I heard the first American recordings, I suddenly heard these coming to life Mm. in a very professional way and I very quickly identified with that. Yes. Who was the player you first heard? Well, it was George Wright. The legendary name of all time from over there, really. Have you played in America yourself? 
Yes, I've been fortunate to visit there about half a dozen times now on tours and um, visited many of those organs I always wanted to play. Yes, and you must have great, great thrill playing those, I should think. Yes, they, they all take a very great interest in the machines mm. and uh, they have good audiences. They're well structured, the societies right the way around the States. And uh, they don't, certainly don't all sound the same. They're all very individual, from those in pizza parlours to those in homes to those in very large auditoriums. As I mentioned, Len's first album was that shimmering splendour, but it wasn't long after that that he was really seeking that um, middle of the balcony in theatre sound. And it was only a few years after that that uh, he made arrangements with the Lancastrian Theatre Organ Trust to go and record the two Wurlitzers, uh, two very contrasting Wurlitzers that were pretty much opposite each other at Manchester at the Odeon and Gaumont's. Well, in the small hours of the morning, the recording gear was set up centre balcony to capture the in-theatre sounds of these two Wurlitzers. But on this occasion, we're only going to hear from one, the Odeon Manchester, and a Cole Porter classic, I Love Paris.
inferior sound at the Odeon Manchester, I Love Paris. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, Len and indeed his father, Les, uh, in fact, the whole royal family at that time, did so much to help um, to enhance and offer advice and help out at various other venues. They crucially helped to start up the London and South of England chapter of the American Theatre Organ Society, which gave channel to a great number of American organists coming to Britain, including the wonderful George Wright. And uh, it wasn't just um, that type of presentation. They, of course, uh, helped to maintain various instruments um, up and down the country and indeed abroad. Um, places like Harrow, um, Kilburn, Tooting, and a myriad of other instruments that Len was always happy to pop up and um, help to get going and help to offer advice and uh, really um, was crucial in so many ways to so many different uh, instruments up and down the UK. Obviously, more recently, um, the access to the instruments at Harrow and at Kilburn has been very much reduced, so the HUS... Um, Focus has been on the wonderful Wurlitzer at Woking. Back in the late 90s, Len made the one and only commercial recording on the Wurlitzer, and I'd like to play you a track from that now. But before we do, um, a couple of years ago, I took my own microphones along to capture Simon Gledhill in concert for this show. And I'd completely forgotten about this interview until walking home to record for this show, and, uh, well, here's that bit where Simon spoke to Len about how the organ came to be at Woking. Well, Len, congratulations on the wonderful sound of the Woking Wurlitzer, which I've played for several occasions, and on this evening I thought it was on especially good form. Can you tell us a little bit more about the background to the organ and how it came to be here? It hails from the Granada Cinema in Welling, where it gave a very good account of itself as one of the fiery Granada two, as we call them, Granada two specification organs. Did you play it in the theatre? Yes, I did. Okay. Um, and uh, it, it wasn't up to the standard of the Clapham Junction one, but I would put it sort of second or third in line to that series of organs. Um, very effective. Um, the American Theatre Organ Society, London and South of England chapter, were lucky enough to purchase it, and we took it out from there, and for a while, put it in store, as we inevitably have to these days, once we look around for a suitable place. Um, we visited many, many different uh, halls, and we'd hoped perhaps to buy our own cinema, rather like, um, I suppose all of us hoped that we could have it in our own building, but that didn't prove to be the case, and we wanted it to be in a, a sensibly sized hall. And so we started looking around, and it was one of our members, in fact, in this area who happened to mention that there was the archery hall in the leisure centre, which was very little used, um, and also a school. Um, as luck would have it, um, we uh, met a councillor in the Woking area um, who was prepared to show us both. The school, in fact, was quite unsuitable uh, for acoustic reasons, um, and insulation uh, was very poor. And then um, we came along to this archery hall and there was one man each week who used to come in here with his bow, bows and arrows <laughs> and um, fire them up to this end of the hall where we're standing. And there was a collecting area for picking up these um, bows and arrows, or the, the arrows anyway. Um, but the moment I stepped in at the back of the hall and heard the acoustic that you can hear in the background here, um, 
I said, this has got to be something worth exploring. And so we put forward a feasibility study of how we could convert this end into two organ chambers um, with a blower room outside the building. And as luck would have it, um, Mr. Organ, I'm sorry, Mr. Morgan, who we called at the end, all the councillors called Organ Morgan because he became right behind what we were doing here and anything we wanted was available to us. So we only had to specify the bricks that we wanted, we only had to specify the openings we wanted, the safety precautions and the electricity supply and everything was achieved for us by the, by the local council. Yeah. So it's very much a, a joint venture between Woking Borough Council and ourselves.
a medley of quick-step tunes in typical Lenroll fashion, including that piece which made its way onto the BBC film Metroland, The Varsity Drag, and became one of those sort of iconic Lenroll pieces. Now, earlier we heard from a chat with Nigel Ogden and Len, so let's go back to that now. And Len, I know you're very involved in the music world at present. Uh, tell us what your present-day activities are. Well, I'm musical director for the Yamaha organisation in this country. Um, that involves a wide variety of musical interests, but principally I've been involved over the last seven years in setting up the Yamaha Music School Network. And I'm delighted to say we've got uh, many thousands of young people being taught the instrument. And uh, this, I must say, does give me a great deal of personal joy because I know how hard it was to learn to play these instruments myself. And uh, this method that uh, our Japanese friends use for teaching people music um, is a very, very satisfactory mm. one indeed. Does this mean you go around the country a lot as well then? I'm fairly desk-bound these days, but I do enjoy going to hear some of our pupils' concerts. I do occasionally give performances myself. And uh, as I say, most of the time it's just the privilege and pleasure uh, with a large musical organisation of training teachers in a standardised method mm. so that uh, everything that uh, anyone cares to learn about music can be done so in a very well-structured way. Mm, yes, that's, that's fascinating. While you're with us, uh, perhaps you're the right person to discuss a point which is always a controversial item, and that's this endless business of pipes versus electronics. Now, obviously, we, we wouldn't even attempt to try and settle the argument in a few minutes, but I'm sure you'd be the first to admit that uh, Yamaha are producing some of the finest electronic keyboard instruments uh, ever seen or heard. But the sounds they produce... Um, brilliant though they are, bear very little resemblance to conventional organ sound. Now, as someone who's equally fond of playing the mighty Wurlitzer and your Yamaha FX20 or whatever, do you think the days when electronic organs more or less set out to simulate uh, theatre pipe organs are over, and that the gap that people like Robin Richmond were always trying to bridge between electronics and pipes is in fact getting wider because of the dissimilarity between the instruments? What are your views on that? Well, in the first place, um, I've never viewed the electronic organ in quite the way you described it. Although it naturally came about that the first electronic organs looked rather like uh, pipe organs, mm. um, they chose to have the same type of stops, same colours, the same layout. Um, that was really because technology at that time was rather limiting. But I always viewed them as different as I view a piano to a pipe organ. I've, I viewed with the same difference, electronic to pipes myself. So I tended to play them somewhat differently. I didn't try to produce necessarily the pipe organ sound. Now technology has gone on a pace with all this digital computerized activity. And um, it is now possible to do many things that a theatre organ could never do. So truly there is no point in just trying to copy a theatre organ, mm. although that can be done. Mm. Mm. Uh, I think at this time, though, um, you probably will agree with me, most things in music go in circles. The guitar comes in and out of favour. And I think a similar thing happens with the pure organ, whether it's the early type of uh, instrument, uh, be it classical, jazz or electronic. And I think these things sort of come and go. And I think at the moment, the electronic organ as we've known it has turned into more the electronic orchestra, the electronic uh, big band. Yes. 
and that is satisfying the demand of a lot of young people, creative young people. But I think possibly there will be a time when we will, the circle will turn again and mm. we shall come back to the more traditional type of organ sound for our entertainment. Mm. But basically what you're saying is that um, you know, classical organs are classical organs and theatre organs are theatre organs and electronics are electronics and they've all got their place. Very much so. Yes, yes. September in the Rain played on a Yamaha FX20. Lended so much to encourage various musicians, not just through what they developed at, at Yamaha, um, but through things like the Young Organist of the Year competition, and indeed just helpful advice to whoever asked for it, and was always happy to spend time with many of the young organists, um, and indeed anybody that wanted to find out um, a little bit more about that secret art of registration which Len seemed to enjoy very much. We're going to have a bit more chat now and an extract from a mid-70s edition of The Organist Entertains, where, at the microphone this time, it was Robin Richmond discussing a recent trip to America and pizza parlours. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Len, Len Rawl, you were telling me about these pizza parlours they have all over America with organs in. Well, what's a pizza parlour? Well, it's first of all spelt P-I-Z-Z-A. Mm. And it's a drinking parlour. Uh, one can go in and down the ale and uh, eat cheeses, uh, cooked cheeses covered in some delight delightful spices. Very tasteful. Um, but how are they decorated? Like a nightclub or something? Or? Oh, any sort of decor at all. Mm. Some way out, some traditional. Um, most of them feature pipe organs. And uh, this is a very big attraction out there. You were telling me that, that Reggie Fort's old Moller, the one that was with the BBC for so many years, that's going into a piece of parlour, isn't it? Yes, I run across the Moller organ, the old BBC theatre organ, in the Moller factory. They've mm. completely refurbished it, and that's going to go into one of these pizza parlours. Mm. And you, yourself, had a little tinkle on the pizza parlour, were it, so while you were there? Oh, indeed, yes. Yes, this was in Redwood City, yeah. uh, just outside San Francisco. Uh, a magnificent sound, but uh, it frightened the life out of me as soon as I arrived <laughs> there, because I sat on the organ and just put my hands on the keys, and it's so loud. Yeah. But one needs this noise, uh, this high level of yeah. sound. You get over all the eating and the drinking. Sure, yeah, the noise is going on. They play but, these things flat yeah. out during the night.
were telling me that you had to work hard in changing the setup on the organ, eh? Oh, indeed, yes. The, the organists were very helpful mm. in this respect. Uh, but they wanted it to sound terribly, terribly English. Oh, British, I say, oh, yes, boy, yes. yes. Uh, um, and the... You take your brolly and bolo with you. Well, almost, almost, <laughs> yes. Uh, it was all good fun, but uh, to do this, we had to alter tremulant settings and one mm. thing and another. Uh, that track in the middle was Blaze Away, the march uh, played by Len on the um, Cappins Galley Pizza Parlour restaurant in Redwood City, and a certainly fine sound indeed. I felt very lucky a few months ago to have Len visit me here at home to try out the organ, and uh, over a lunch he expressed um, quite a delight over the recording that I played um, a few months ago of him at Watford Town Hall. He recalled the session vividly and said that there wasn't much time, but he was excited to be able to finally get his hands on the instrument. And he said over dinner that he'd never tried to um, actually copy note for note George Wright, but merely add some of George's ideas into the mixed bag of his own. But he was absolutely astonished to be reminded of the track that I'd like to play for you next, which is Love for Sale. He said that the organ seemed to want to do that George Wright sound, that snarl of the trumpet on the Compton. And so, um, given the fact that he also said that he was never really happy with any of the recordings he ever made, he said there was always always things he felt he could do better, but that one he was seemed quite pleased about. So I'd like to play that one uh, next. And straight after that, another Compton but this time in the Netherlands. Len, of course, helped to found the Netherlands Organ Federation and spent a great deal of time working over there, trying to uh, really improve and help to enhance their instruments. And so, enough of Compton straight after this, the one in the concert hall at Middleburg and Lady in Red. But first, love for sale at Watford.
two very contrasting Comptons, but expertly guided by the master of registration, Len Rawl, certainly sounding like he's having fun on both of those. And especially Lady in Red, you know, you can really tell that he's getting lost in the music, and it's really quite spine-tingling, that track. Obviously, for most people, you mention Len Rawl, and you immediately think of the ex-Empire Leicester Square Wurlitzer, which he had in his house for well over 50 years. And in the second part of this programme, which will come after these tracks, um, we'll delve a little bit more into that history. But for now, I mean, so much of Len Raw's playing was very inspiring, and there were so many little quirks and things that he did that um, were so imaginative. And I just have looked through the, the library of recordings I have and just picked three of those tracks and I think sort of best sum up Len at home on some various recordings. So to end the first part of this, um, let's have three of those tracks. The Laughing Samba, Nice and Easy, and It's Alright With Me. Thank you. 
Thank mm-hmm. you. 